Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to MBR, or as we like to call it around here, Nothing But Rants, the show where I find topics that I'm oddly passionate about, and I pontificate upon them. These are not hot takes, but rather takes that I'm hot about. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back in for our second hour here. This is our national hour, okay? So if you hung out with us and listened to our local hour, give us an opportunity to be your home for national college football conversation right here, right now. All right, you already set through 60. Give me another 60. All right, second half football team right here for you guys. Uh, Oh, that boy Lane is cooking. The Lane train is rolling on the transfer portal trail. Tamarian McDonald, safety from Tennessee. Tyler Barron, a defensive end from Tennessee. Princely, Uman Milan, a defensive end from Florida. Uh, Keen Lawrence, a safety from Oklahoma. Tav- 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 Tavian? Tavian Nicholson, a corner from Illinois. Antoine Juice Wells, formerly of James Madison, then of USC Jr., now of Ole Miss. Prior to the show, they were favorites to land Walter Nolan. I would consider them still favorites to win Walter Nolan, despite the fact that Georgia seemingly is making a late push for that commitment of that former number one overall transfer um, from Tennessee, or excuse me, originally from the state of Tennessee, played his freshman year at Texas A&M, now in the portal, leaning towards Ole Miss, it sounds like. But again, there is some stuff uh, leaning towards Georgia. I want to welcome in the boys, Jay Will, and our boy Evan Crowell, who is not a stranger to this network. He joined us out there in July when we were out for the Elite 11. Um, so welcome the boys in. How are we doing tonight? Doing fantastic. Doing good. Loving it. Loving life. Thanks for having me, you two. You got superstars in the building right now. I'm on it. <laughs> My boy said dormant for an hour. Just <laughs> just waiting, waiting to cook. Um, shouts out to Evan. He actually is our, our lead writer over on our, on our Tennessee site, and he does a tremendous job. So glad to have him in tonight. Uh, our boy Christian Kirby taking the night off. Uh, I felt I was going to let you cook for an hour because we let him sit in a solo seat while you were gone. So we'll let you get an hour and cook. I thought you, done a, you did a tremendous job. But let's talk about this. Um, look, man, Portal King Lane, which is what he is doing right now, Portal King Lane only happens. I truly believe this. It only happens if he were 10 and 2 this year. If that football team did not look like it was a defensive game changer or a group of defensive game changers away for competing for the SEC West, I don't believe this would happen. All right. So Lane's ability to get that program into the right kind of timing window and then convincing his booster base to really, really invest in this championship window was brilliant. It is the definition of roster management at a program like this. He has been very forthcoming about the fact that they are not a football program that is going to recruit at an elite level at the high school level. They just won't. I don't know if you've been to Oxford, Mississippi. Oxford's great. Well, there ain't shit within like three hours of Oxford. Just ain't nothing. All right, it's out there. It's out there in Mississippi. It is what it is. So the idea that you are going to win head-to-head battles, no matter how cool you are, no matter how cute your dog is, no matter how awesome your Twitter account is, the fact that you're going to win recruiting battles on the high school level with the likes of Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State, those just aren't reasonable. He's never approached it that way. He has never approached his board that way, except for when there's a monster in his state or near his state. At that point, he will fully invest in that football player. But everything else about this transition for Ole Miss since the portal has been activated has been about getting difference makers from other places to decide that they want to come here. And last year, it was, we're going to add a bunch of mid-major guys that we know can play football. 
They took like 18 transfers last year, and a good majority of them are guys from mid-major programs that were all-conference or all-American, and they wanted an opportunity at the SEC level. That's exactly what they got, and guess what? That defense slowly started to turn around under Pete Golden, and now they are primed and positioned to look at an SEC West with a really, really favorable schedule, okay? And just add a several group of difference makers. Get Trey Harris to come back. Convince Jackson Dart to come back. And now all of a sudden, boys, on paper, what are they, second best team in the West? Yeah, it sure seems like it. I, I think the big thing for me that I've learned from the transfer portal over the past few years is it's not only important to utilize it to where it benefits you, but I think timing and how you use it is also important as well. Like, it's one thing to just go out there and get transfer portal kids every single year, like schools like South Carolina are having to do right now. Ole Miss has kind of done this, but Ole Miss is doing it in a manner where it's like, we know when our window is. We know when we have Jackson Dart coming back and Quinshawn Judkins and Harris and whatnot. Mm. That's our time to push and that we have some other guys that can build around them so we can actually be the top of the East and actually compete. One thing I've enjoyed about the transfer portal just since its inception is that unlike baseball or basketball or any of those other sports out there, the head coaching position is so important because you are relating to 70 to 80 alpha males, especially yeah. in the SEC. You're trying to talk to people that have been the best at for what they are for 18 years, yeah. 19 years. These transfer guys have been around for 21 years. They've been the Juice Wells best player on that South Carolina team two years ago. And Lane Kiffin's ability, I think, to tell these young men that are in the transfer portal that have probably hit a hard stop yeah. along the road. They're talented, but it hasn't maybe gone their way. He can go, that happened for me. I was at Alabama. Oh, yeah. I was at USC. I, everyone was out on Lane Kiffin. This is my second home. This was my reclamation project. Look what I am now. That ability to say, I'm a coach, but I've been in your shoes, I think mm. that's really selling with all these kids. He does have a, a redemption story. Mm -hmm. and, he, and he's talked about how when guys decide that they're going to Ole Miss out of the transfer portal, that is a business decision. That is not about clout. That is not about uh, the, the fun festivities that come with being an Ole Miss Rebel. That has everything to do with the fact that this is a calculated business decision. I'm going to go, for lack of a better term, suck it up. I mean, it's, it's SEC football. They're brilliant facilities. It is the upper echelon of, the, of what college football is made available to you. But it is not LSU. It is not Georgia. It is not Alabama. It is not Tennessee. It is not these schools with regards to uh, access, with regards to facilities, with regards to funds, with regards to all of these things traditionally. However, there is clearly some booster money in mm -hmm. that program or around that program, and it, it just needs a spark. It just needs a little fire. I think we saw this with Auburn as well. We saw that kind of floodgate open. It seemed like as soon as Hugh Freeze – took over and got things rolling there. Now you see them in the mix with heavy big-time recruitments, uh, still trying to flip Ryan Williams and K.J. Bolden. Uh, and guess what? Those things do not come cheaply. They require time and, and, and money and investment um, nowadays on the recruiting trail. So we've seen what happens when these types of programs get uh, flushed with cash, if you will. Not to say that that's the case here, but he has done a, a tremendous job. I mean, these are ball players, dude. Tyler Barron was one of the best defensive ends in the conference. So was Princely Uman Milan. Like, those are difference makers. Juice Wells, when he gets his foot right, that kid's elite. Like, he's going to transcend. He's going to really change their offense and how they go about their screen game and their explosivity. I mean, Tamarian McDonald was no slouch at, at Tennessee either. These are, these are difference makers from Power 5 football programs that he's pulling in. Yeah, what, what does that 2024 schedule look like for them? Oh, my God, dude. It is an absolute cakewalk. 
Furman, Middle Tennessee State, at Wake Forest, Georgia Southern, Kentucky, right off the rip, they're 5-0. and uh, At South Carolina, 6-0. and And then they don't have a top 25 matchup. I would presume none of those are top 25 football teams, right? The only one would, might be Kentucky? Maybe. 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 All right, but none of those are top 25 preseason football teams except for at LSU, October 12th. And then they play uh, Oklahoma at home after a bye week, and then they got Ar- at Arkansas, and then they play Georgia at home. Then they have another bye week. They go to Florida, and then they close the, the year with Mississippi State. I see two tough football games on there that they Jeez. won't be favored by. Right? They won't be favored on the road at LSU. Well, actually, Garrett Nussmeyer oh, depends, yeah, on yeah, what, depends on what happens there, right? So, they, they, we're going to put a question mark on that. And they won't be favored against Georgia, right? You yeah. would imagine, even yeah. though they're at home. So, let's call that like a minus four spread, mm-hmm. you would imagine, depending on what Georgia looks like that point in the year. Maybe they're even a – I mean, there's a chance Georgia's a two-loss football team at that point in the season. Yeah, I mean – they got Alabama and Texas on the schedule before Very strong possibility. I mean, again, that goes into the timing of all of this, of like knowing when it's time to push, knowing when it's time to put – literally push all of your chips in – on some of the talent that is coming into the transfer portal, knowing that your window is 2024, it seems like. I mean, you just—I mean, compared to the other SEC schedules that That's some of these breeze. teams got, that is an absolute breeze. They got no Bama, they got no Texas. Like that—that that is a breeze. LSU, Georgia, and Oklahoma. Those are the three football games next year. They're gonna play a freshman. Uh, you would imagine by the time they go to Gainesville, right? Mm-hmm. I would imagine uh, DJ Lagway starting over Graham Mertz towards the end of the year, you think right? So? It depends. Are they a winning football team? Uh, if Florida, because yeah. they got a brutal one too. Yeah. If Florida's five and seven, come that football game, you think you think Graham Mertz is playing over the five star? I don't know. I don't. I don't it's, know. It's a question we don't have to answer right now. I'm just saying there's a possibility late in the season that Florida's like doing what they did this year, playing for a bowl. Mm-hmm. Which I, I we've been on the Billy train. I, I slightly believe in Billy, even though every once in a while it's like a heart rate monitor. It feels like with him. Um, I believe he's a good football coach. That being said, we all know what that schedule is. Mm-hmm. We all know what that roster still looks like. They're still very young. So, we counted them out this year. We didn't think they were going to get bowl eligible. They didn't. Um, but we, we thought it was going to be way uglier than it ended up being, mm-hmm. even though there were some weeks where Florida looked really bad. Yeah. Oof. Good, so, on, good on Lane and them for that, man. Shouts out to Lane Kiffin. It's a winnable schedule. Go do it. Um, just don't be Georgia because I don't want to listen to my chat doing that. Uh, hey, welcome to tonight's show. We got a loaded one for you. We're going to be talking about Kyle McCord's new home. Shouts out to the Syracuse Orangemen. We're going to talk about Malachi Nelson hitting the portal. Chip Kelly has all the fixes in the world for college football, um, even though we kind of heard most of those fixings from our boy Charlie Baker. Y'all don't want, y'all don't want to hear that, though. Um, Bama versus Michigan. I got some thoughts and an update on that one. K.J. Jefferson finally hit the portal. Damani Jackson finally in the portal. Um, but I want to ask you guys real quick, make sure you hit that thumbs up button. Make sure you're liking, subscribing, rating, reviewing, all that good stuff. If you miss any portion of tonight's broadcast, it can and will be made available for you on all of your podcast platforms, whether that be Spotify, Apple iTunes, wherever, however you get your podcast, you will find us. Make sure you are subscribing over there and giving us that five-star review. That's how we go up those boards. Make sure you're subscribing to here. We are on the road to 20,000 subscribers, and boys, we are close. Don't know what I'm going to get us, but we're going we're gonna to get gifts all around. Ooh, we're going to get gifts all around. Maybe, maybe they're like specialized hats. Maybe they're a little sticker. I don't know. Can't be breaking the bank, but we're going to do something. Uh, I'm definitely buying a pair of J's because 13000 of those were earned by yours truly. Mm. You guys got the last seven, so we'll get you something nice for that. But your, your boy definitely bought a pair of kicks. 
free and college student go hand in hand. So no complaints here regardless yep. of what Hell it is. Hell yeah. I love that. I love that a lot. Uh, but no, we do got a load of show for you guys tonight. Make sure you're heading over to prizepicks.com. Use the promo code Brooks. You get a 100% deposit match over there with those guys. Uh, that's our friend. Those are our friends. Those are our family over there at PrizePix. So if you like what we do, all right, make sure you're supporting those who support us in order for us to continue this great content strategy that we got going for you guys. Um, I want to talk about this Kyle McCourt stuff to Syracuse. We knew it was likely a pairing last week when we talked about it. Uh, we actually mentioned it in the show, mentioned it was probably a done deal, and it winds up being a done deal. Now it is official. He will be with Syracuse next year and playing for Fran Brown. I was asking around today because I, I don't know. I don't know what Fran Brown is going to be running. I don't know nothing about his offensive coordinator, Jeff Nixon, the former running backs coach from the New York Giants. I don't know if he's got a history of calling plays. I would imagine maybe not. Uh, position coach in the NFL coming to be an offensive coordinator. I do know that when they were asked, hey, coach, what offense you going to be running? The answer was whatever the defense can't stop. Now, a lot of people will hear that and they'll laugh and that, they'll say something like, well, that probably means you don't have your offensive coordinator picked out or that means you don't know what you're going to be. I would say uh, nay. I would say the opposite. I would say some of these football coaches nowadays, some of the better ones, they have a core principle of who they are. They have a core traits of what they do. They have a, a, a foundation that they have built on their home with regards to what offense they're going to be. But a lot of really, really good coordinators nowadays are looking at their new opponent on Sunday, and they are devising a game plan to really stress and press that new opponent on Saturday. And they spend the week developing into this new versions of themselves, slightly new version of themselves. And then they go out and they whip the ass of their new opponent. And then they start fresh the next week. You know who is a company or a football program like this? Georgia, where Fran Brown just came from. They have their core principles. They have their core traits. But every single week, they're going to do something that you don't do well. And they're going to make you do it. They're going to make you do it for four quarters. Because that is what they're made to do. They're made to do what they do while forcing you to do what you don't want to do and then just smacking your ass for four quarters doing so. That's what Fran Brown wants to become. And when I hear questions like that, we will do what the defense can't, that tells me you're going to be a game plan-oriented offense. And if you're a game plan-oriented offense, I don't have to know much about your quarterback except for this. That son bitch better be smart. He better be smart because he better be able to intake the new information and go apply it that week. All right, so whatever the offense looks like, I am I am led to believe that it will be a football team that is predicated off game plan, which means the quarterback better be smart. Yeah, and I mean, a Kyle McCord is a perfect quarterback for that situation as well because if you are changing the game plan up a lot week by week, you also want a guy that you know is going to protect the football. He's not going to lose you football games, at least most of the time. That's exactly what Kyle McCord was at Ohio State. So I think that's putting him in a perfect situation. And then also you're building around him with other transfer portal entries. He's obviously a talented football player. He was a five-star coming out of high school. He's big, he's physical, he can rip it. I saw a football player that lacked confidence when I watched him at Ohio State. He looked timid. He looked like someone who wasn't being fed, you know, you're the greatest son, go be great. And sometimes that's all it takes, man, some general belief. And I would imagine Fran's going to provide that to him. Am I allowed to say that I kind of really like this? And I – Yeah. I – because you look at the names and I just like the names are so hard. You look at Kyle McCord and you look at Syracuse and you're like, ah, oh, don't do it, man. Don't <laughs> do it. Don't do it. But when I've seen Kyle McCord throw in person and what I have observed from him and I, I haven't done the whole Ohio State deep dive, uh, but it's a bit like he's got a strong arm. Yeah, but it's a strong ball every time. Yeah, he's got the right plan, but it's the one every single time. And I kind of mm. like going to the ACC 
going with Syracuse, with Fran Brown. Let's do this new experiment. Let's kind of uh, – Jake Plummer was a starting quarterback for yeah. the runner-up in the ACC this year. That's crazy. I know Kyle McCord can do that. Yeah. I know he can. Now, I don't know if it's at Syracuse, but I watched him play good down that last five-game stretch. Wasn't great against Michigan, but there were some moments. Yeah. And I, I kind of like it. I'd be damned if Jake Plummer's going to be the bar for my conference. <laughs> I'll be damned, <laughs> you know, like shit. No wonder we got left out of the college football playoff. Damn. If, if Jake Plummer were the bar of average, whoo, there'd be a lot of elite motherfuckers out here in this world. Oh, sorry, Jake. That's unfortunate for you, Mr. Plummer. It's just the name. Yeah. If Jake Plummer would name something like, I don't know, uh, yeah, give me a cool last name, Jake Williams. If he were just Jake Williams, I'd be like, you know what? Jake Williams got a little something to him, but Jake Plummer, Jake Plummer's some six foot two stacked mid. Yeah, us Williams don't ball like that. But I think, especially like going into your point of a guy that lacks confidence, I think that also makes Syracuse the perfect landing spot for him as well because the expectations I don't know Ohio State, especially last year, is okay, we got a first round wide receiver that mm. might be putting in up special numbers, but it also has to do with your play. And we're also looking to beat Michigan for the first time in three years now. And we're also looking to make the college football playoff and push for a national title. We have a great defense this year. We're looking to capitalize off of that. You're a first-year starter. It's on you now to deliver that for us. Whereas at Syracuse, I can go there, a program that really has no expectations right now other than Fran Brown. We want to see you elevate this program. And we just got into the whole conversation of what the ACC looks like. I mean, based on what they're doing in the portal right now, who's to say that Syracuse can't go and compete in the ACC next year? I mean, we went through the schedule the other night. It, it's it's really easy. favorable. Very. It's really favorable. Um, and he's he's recruiting at a level that Syracuse has not been able to. No. Um, I, I hope to get Fran on the show. And that's the first question I want to ask him. Is like, what are you doing to overcome the obstacles that have always pl seemingly plagued that university? That university is, if we don't have homegrown New York elite skill talent and a couple of big guys, we, we can't really compete. Every once in a while, they'll, they'll bust out a corner. They'll bust out a, a left-handed quarterback and an elite running back or whatever, uh, what was it, Mendenhall or whoever that, oh, that yeah, mix yeah. was that they had uh, between the elite lefty quarterback and, and the two running backs that they had when they played for a, 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 a Rose Bowl a couple years mm -hmm. ago. Um, or was that Illinois? Whatever. Uh, orange and blue. Either way, this football program doesn't do a lot of uh, traditional winning or traditional recruiting at this level. So he, he must have something. He must have some type of different. It's another question I want to ask him. What is it about you that people are buying into? Because he's getting kids to, to take into account, yeah, I might play at Syracuse, that, again, no one has ever really done at that level. Um, and he did the same thing at Georgia. He recruited at a level at, at Georgia that was like, not necessarily unprecedented. It was impressive. And if you are impressive with that G on your chest, because everybody does the, that guy's going to kill with a G on your chest. I'm going to tell you right now, I'd kill on a recruiting trail with a G on my chest. You kidding me? I got Kirby Smart closing for me? You shit me? I'd never lose a battle. Ever. <laughs> Not once. I'm telling you. Okay? So, everyone's going to be great with that G on your chest. Fran Brown was still that plus some. Very akin to, like, what Todd Hartley's doing right now. Um, just didn't have the large sample size of that, but he was going to. Mm -hmm. I mean, nothing. There's nothing traditional about the Syracuse football pro program. They play mm -hmm. in a dome. No, what other college football program does that? Idaho. Idaho. Shouts out to the Potato Family. That sounds about right. And then you're in this. You're in the state of New York. Like that's very untraditional football territory for at least the college football level. Like there's no tradition really implemented in an area like that. And he's getting guys to not only be interested, but like, 
oh, I'll go check out the Cuse. Go up there and sit, sniff around the orange a little bit. See what's going on over there. Any guesses on the Idaho mascot? Uh, Vandal. Hell yeah. Uh, yep. That a boy. The Vandals, an elite indoor uh, facility, by the way. It only has stands on the sidelines, and then it's hard stop at the at the end zones. That shit slapped an NCAA 14. NCAA, yeah, I was about to say, that NCAA Dynasty Stadium was crazy. <laughs> crazy. <laughs> that that whole, shit was crazy. It was crazy. <laughs> oh, man, good stuff. Um, no, I, I think uh, we'll find out about Fran. We'll find out about this offense. But I, I think we're going to continue to talk about Syracuse football. It's something that I, I never thought when we went national is something that we would be talking about. I think the key is, though, to provide confidence to that young football player. He looked very timid to me. He looked very uh, under pressure the entire time. Let him play with a loose booty and see what happens. That's all I'm saying. Um, Chip Kelly thinks he fixed football. Chip <laughs> Kelly – was out here talking about some super conference and talking about some split in the regions and talking about some revenue sharing and talking about some stuff that my boy Charlie Baker basically tried to tell y'all was fit to happen. And y'all was like, ah, it's the NCAA president. Don't nobody give a shit about that guy. But Charlie Baker basically submitted a plan to create a sub-region or a subdivision for Power 5 football teams that were able to put a $6 million budget together to ultimately pay athletes. Now, Here's what Charlie Baker can't do. Charlie Baker, as the president of the NCAA, can't come out here and talk about revenue sharing. He will lose his job. Charlie Baker can't come out here and talk about separating football from the rest of the sports because this thing called Title IX exists and Charlie Baker would lose his job. But Charlie Baker can come out here and tell you that 64 of these teams, probably 70 of these teams, are way different financially structural-wise than any of the other football teams. Yet all these football teams play together and play against each other and play for the same quote-unquote trophy. But half of them aren't really looked at like the other half are. These big halves are looked at way different than the rest of the other halves. That's how Charlie Baker told you he was fitting to do it or wanted to do it. Chip Kelly came out here with some statements today and yesterday that went viral because, hey, Chip Kelly's this genius. And I love Chip Kelly. And we give Chip Kelly his flowers. And we're about to play a clip of Chip Kelly being a genius. But I'm here to tell you that what Chip Kelly is talking about will never happen. Not as long as the NCAA is around or unless the NCAA loses some lawsuits like they will inevitably lose and will ultimately be dissolved. But until then, what Chip Kelly is about to reference is probably impossible to happen. But hey, it sure would be nice. Play that clip for us, Evan. I'm at NIL transfer portal. And what would your, your plan maybe be to, to try to solve it? I think they're all a problem, and I think we need to have a conference commissioner. I think football should be separate from the other sports. Just the fact that our school is leaving to go to the Big Ten in football, our, our softball team should be playing Arizona in softball. Our basketball team should be playing Arizona in basketball. But because football left, and they say, well, how do you do that? Well, Notre Dame's independent in football, and they're in a conference and everything else. I think we should all be independent in football. And you can have a 64-team conference that's in the Power Five, and you can have a 64-team conference in the Group of Five, and we separate it, and we play each other. You can have the West Coast teams, and then every year we play seven games against the West Coast teams, and then we play the East. So we play Syracuse, Boston College, Pitt, West Virginia, Virginia. Then the next year you play against the South while you still play your seven teams. You can play a seven-game schedule. You can play four against another conference, another division opponent, and you can always play against one Mountain West team every year so that we can still keep those rivalries going. Not that I've really thought about this. <laughs> Not that I've a lot of spent time on this. But I think if you went together collectively as a group, and so there's 132 teams, and we all share in the same we all share the same TV contract, 
so that the Mountain West doesn't have one and the Sun Belt doesn't have another and SEC has one and they have another, that we all go together. That's a lot of games and there's a lot of people in the TV world that would go through it. You can sponsor each one. Instead of calling it Group of Five and Power Five, you can call it Amazon, Nike, bid that out to things. You know, a lot of different things. But I think if we still do the same thing and take all that money, and I would do this, and I think this needs to be done, that money now needs to be shared with the student athletes. And Ooh, there needs to be revenue sharing. And the players should get paid, and you can get rid of NLI, and the schools should be paying the players because the players are what the product is. Are you laughing? And at the what fact I'm that they don't get paid. Um, are you laughing at the fact that he said NLI yeah. instead of NIL? Yeah. The fact that a head football coach is out here messing up the, the acronyms for these things mm -hmm. um, because that's not what they call it. They just call it pay-for-play, I would imagine, in the building. Yeah. They're not out here talking about NIL. They're talking about how much, how much does Jimmy need? How, mu how much money does Jimmy need for us to keep him around? Um, that's what they're talking about right now. Again, a lot of, lot of great suggestions right there. I hope, it, I hope something similar to that happens. But this idea that you're going to separate the revenue-producing sport from the other ones, it just doesn't happen because of this Title IX stuff. And also, by the way, revenue sharing is going to come down the pike, uh, and it will revolutionize football, and it will look totally different, and unions will get inactive into college football and uh, all this good stuff. But the, the, there's got to be something done. I like his uniformality of that far better than what we got right now. The Big 12 had 10 teams. They're moving to 14, about to be 16. The Big Ten had 10, 14 teams. Now they're at 16, about to go to 18. The SEC has 16 teams. But what happens if they want to take Clemson and Florida State or whoever? Maybe they get bumped to 18. The ACC's got 16 teams, and the Big 12 or the, the Pac-12 just dissolved. they got two teams remaining. So, like, this idea that these conferences are just going to continue to expand, and now we really have a group of four. We basically have what he's talking about anyways. We might as well just have four regions of 16 teams and just do it that way. Why, why, just You know what? Let's just do NFC and AFC. You know what? Let's just do NFC North, South, East, and West. You know what? Let's just make it like the product on Sundays, why don't we? So I, I think we're ultimately going to go into something like this because here's what I'm going to tell you is not going to go. What's not going to go is UCLA's baseball, basketball, softball, and swimming teams taking a nosedive because those players don't want to travel across the country every single year. So, though football may be the breadwinner, you're still going to lose some uh, lore in your other athletic departments that just it ain't going to fly. You can't be mediocre at football and have all of your other sports deteriorate and think that an athletic administrator is going to just be like, yeah, sounds like a great idea. They pay us $60 million a year. Yeah, especially when you have a conference like the SEC where they don't have to do any of that. So, like a baseball player, a swimmer, or women's basketball player, any of that – they're looking at, okay, I could go to Oregon or I could go take up on this Vanderbilt offer where I don't have to travel around the world every single week of my life when it's in season and I can just stay within the Southeast region. And occasionally maybe I go play an out-of-conference game or whatnot, but that's not my day-to-day -day life. So I, I think it's definitely going to hurt those other programs. I'm interested to see how this conference realignment, conference changing affects the recruiting because a big pitch for – I mean, since day one, like we, or NCAA it's part of it. Stay close to home. Yeah. I'm staying close to home. Well, if you're a California kid and you got to play a Big Ten schedule, you ain't close to home for anything if you go to USC or UCLA. No. You're gone all the time. All those advantages go right out the window. So it's tough for me to get there, and I, I don't know. We've seen all of these conferences realign in just like the last 18 months. I find it hard to believe that these types of moves last the lifespan of these contracts. I just I find it hard to believe 
that five years from now, UCLA, UC, uh, USC, Oregon, and Washington are going to look up and say, this, this was great. This was awesome for all of us. Let's stick around. Um, but then again, I also – this idea that a college football commissioner were, were to happen, do we just think one czar is going to fix all this? Because I'm going to tell you right now, everybody hates Roger Goodell. Everybody thinks Roger Goodell is the stupidest human being alive. All right, uh, what's his name that runs the NBA? David Stern, or yep, it was Silver. David Stern. Adam, Adam, Silver. Adam Silver. Adam Silver had the highest uh, PR rating in the history of commissioners. Everybody loved that dude. They don't know more. Everybody cooking Adam Silver left and right when they get an opportunity to. So this idea that just because somebody's going to be the college football czar, I don't care if he's got as high as a PR rating as Josh Pate. The dude's going to get cooked. Y'all going to hate every decision he makes because it's not going to be favorable for your specific football team, and you're going to think that's biased towards you, and you're going to hate the guy. All right, now at least there's this unknown monster in the, in the dark alleys pulling the strings on everything, and you guys don't know who to point your hate at, so you do it to Charlie Baker. So much so that when Charlie Baker says almost verbatim the same thing our man Chip says, don't nobody pay attention to it. Don't nobody care except for us because we read. We read it to you, subdivision, about 64 teams, going to spend some money, going to give some NIL brackets, going to spread it out evenly over all of the, the, the schools, accountable athletes, all that good stuff. And everybody's like, ah, well, it's Charlie Baker. Nobody cares. But Chip Kelly comes out here, ooh, give me a college football commissioner. Give me 64 teams. Give me two different divisions. We can play each other, yada, yada, yada. Chip Kelly, genius. I want to know what Chip Kelly did. I want to know what he did because four weeks ago, I was reading reports that <laughs> this man is fired unless he wins this weekend. Oh, and now man. he's past that and a starting transfer quarterback in the portal now. It doesn't have him anymore. And now he's talking about the future of college football with the UCLA logo on his chest. I want to mm. know what he did the last four weeks to maintain the, his spot. He knows where the bodies are. Ooh. He's got to. He's got to know where the bodies are. He. Uh, oh, you forgot to mention that in the midst of all that, his recruits stole all the uh, oh, yeah. all the yeah, gold chains from Colorado. From Colorado. Yeah. Whatever happened with that? Uh, I guess they just didn't charge the the recruits with any type of stuff. Mm. Um, man, that'd be a bad way to ruin your college career. Yeah. Stealing the Shadur. <laughs> you have a pretty iconic 24 hours, though. I mean, do you? Is that what we're calling that? I don't know. I iconic? Mean, I guess you Who can't you come out on social media and be yeah, like, yeah. oh, yeah. look, bro, I got yeah. Shadur's look Rolex. Look at the Shadur. <laughs> look at the Shadur. Um, <laughs> nah, that's, a, that's, that's, that's classic Chip Kelly out here saving his job. Uh, I got a similar story to this. Um, never give up. If someone ever sends you your termination agreement letter, don't accept it. Fight that bitch to the death, all right? As long as you can, because you just might change your life. Um, I got some updates on this Bama, Michigan stuff. Y'all want to hear it? Let's hear Let's it. Let's do it. Okay. Um, Kirby, Kirby, our, our man Kirby, is not here today, okay? Kirby is normally our don't trust the public money guy. All right, he's also our resident gambler. Mama Kirby, if you're listening, I'm sorry. Your sons are degenerate. Um, don't trust the public. That's what our boy Kirby told us over and over and over again when this line opened up at one and a half, okay? This line between Michigan and Alabama favored Michigan by one and a half points. And everybody and their mama was out here like, whoa, Alabama, way better football team. Alabama going to skull drag that school. What the hell's going on here? Why ain't it moving? Why ain't it moving? Why ain't it moving? So much so that I looked up today, boys, and 80% of the public money is on Alabama to win this football game. Not even on the spread, money line, which makes sense. Point and a half, right? Might as well just take it on the money. Mm -hmm. um, so it makes sense. But 80%, 80% of the money is currently on Alabama in Vegas. 
And let me explain something to you guys who don't know how handicapping works. The whole reason Vegas puts a number on that, all right, is to try to balance the cash. All right, they're trying to get their favorable winning percentages at about 52 to 48. That's what they want. Whatever that, wherever it shakes out, they want to win the 2 to 3%, right? What they want to avoid is 80% of the money laying on one football team unless they believe the other way, right? Unless they believe the other way, they're not going to move. They, they will ultimately move that line. And here is the example. 80% of this money right now is on uh, Alabama to win this football game. Yet the line has moved half a point. So what does that tell you? That tells you that for some reason, Vegas believes in this Michigan football team. And I, for the life of me, cannot figure out why. I can't. Bama is – this football game's got Bama 27-17 written all over it. 213, 338, 291, 287. What did I just read to you? I just read to you the total yards gained by this Michigan offense over the last four football games. Okay? And granted, one of those, Iowa. A second one, Ohio State. A third one, Penn State. Those three football teams are staunched in the top ten. Okay, just hardened fast in the top ten in defensive metrics across the board this year. They are, without a doubt, great defenses. You know who's the fourth best defense this football team has played all year? Alabama. Okay, Alabama ain't no scrubs defensively. All right, shouts out to TLC. They are gross. They are gross on the defensive side of the football, and Michigan is way grosser. Michigan, over the last four football games, has averaged 282 yards per football game. My stats, man. If that were their average all year long, do you know where they would rank in total offense? I'd probably say around the 45 range. Wrong. Do you have any idea? 85. 125th. 125th is how this football team has performed on the offensive side of the football against anybody with a goddamn pulse on the defensive side of the ball. I don't know what in the hell Vegas is seeing, but I'm probably wrong because Vegas is always right. What, what do you think they're seeing? How can they hold steadfast to the fact that they are essentially picking Michigan to win this football game? What are they seeing? I think maybe they're looking at it as – Alabama hadn't played a perfect football game up until this final moment against Georgia in the SEC championship game. And that format of play from them kind of looked against everything else that they had done and provided this entire year. And maybe Vegas is just saying, we don't think they can do it twice. We think this Michigan defense is really good. We think people are underestimating it. And we think that maybe they have the recipe to defeat an Alabama offense that is hinged on the fact that Jalen Milrow is the best athlete on the field. And they're giving him the football and saying, go win us the football game. Yeah, I mean, the only thing in America worse than watching Michigan in these last five weeks might be watching Iowa. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm looking at the stats right now. I can't get the exact number, but it's close. Like, the yeah. Iowa whole year, Michigan the last five weeks, it's about the same. And that's why Michigan's probably going to win this football game because it's just going to make <laughs> no sense. There is no rhyme or reason. Like, I just, again, I believe in um, that defense, and yeah. I also believe that funky stuff happens in the college football playoff. And maybe they've been so mid on offense because they know they can be, and they're just like withholding all of their actual play calling. Um, I don't necessarily believe that to be true. And here's the other thing, and I said this about them in June, yeah, about the the Georgia period that they mm -hmm. were enacting. Th this has nothing to do with the opponent across the field, except for the fact that the opponent across the field ain't no bitch. Alabama ain't no bitch. Like, Michigan has shown up in the Big Ten the last two years, and they have pushed around lesser than opponents. They have bullied. They have mentally bullied every single opponent. 
until they face a bully. And then guess what? They get their face mask broken. So like this idea to me that the game plan or the style of this football game is we are atrocious on offense, but we're going to three yards and cloud of dust your ass to a national title championship run. Like I find that very dubious. I find that very hard to believe because again, this football team is not going to get pushed around. I, I thought they they didn't bully Georgia, but they very, very much so set the tone in that football game. Alabama mm -hmm. was the aggressor for four quarters against what we thought was the nation's best football team. Two things that make me want to say that Alabama is without a doubt going to win this football game. I believe the SEC is undefeated in semifinal games in the college football playoff. I don't think they have lost a single semifinal game mm. since the origination of the college football playoff. Two, Jim Harbaugh and the Wolverines have gotten teabagged both times in the semifinal games. They got stomped by Georgia the first time, and then they – Oh, yeah. They messed around yeah. and found out. Yeah. <laughs> it's TCU. Yeah. Last year, and they turned the ball over a few times, and next thing you know, it's like, whoa, you we're mean we're not going to the national title game. We're going to put that one in highlighter. I think that one counts. We're going to put that one over here for the, for the, uh, for the minions cuss words. Ooh, Mama J. Will going to be hot. He's like, Mom, it's okay. It's we're, Jim Harbaugh. We were talking about Jim Harbaugh. Um, yeah, no, I think the the other th – to me it boils down to bullies don't get bullied. Mm -hmm. I, I don't believe SEC football teams that make it to this point playing the brand of football that they do are going to be out here getting bitched around by Michigan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, like, I, I think the number one thing in this game, I, the best player in this game has to be Dallas Turner and is Dallas mm -hmm. Turner in my opinion – that he that length that effort that attitude yeah like that's that's a bad mf i'm god my mom's probably watching so i can't go all the way i can't go j will but that, he's a bad dude he is oh. he is a bad dude um and the other thing that alabama has in their favor that i don't think a lot of other teams do against michigan is they could cover zero that ass for four quarters and they would not have that. a problem like they could so they could show zero safety help they could go man across the board and just say, hey, they only run three-man routes. You three got to have your eyes right. The other eight are dedicated to the rock. And guess what? Yeah, that's about it. Like, <laughs> they have not had to uh, stress about whether or not they can cover football teams all year, and they won't in this football game either. Um, yeah, I, I think it boils down to me that any time they have played a relatively decent – I mean, defense, like even Maryland. Maryland's top 40 in defense, and they got boxed 291 yards total against Maryland so I and we've seen this in years past last year Illinois put them in a, uh, a stranglehold for four quarters and almost beat them guess what Illinois had two NFL football players one at safety and one at corner and a solid defensive line so like that's all it really requires to make this offense really really stagnant yeah I it's just hard for me to get behind the fact of I don't know what answer Michigan has on offense that can answer against what Alabama has on defense. I like I I can't you can't sit here and tell me that Michigan is going to bully them up front when that hasn't been the case on either of their semifinal games the last two years. They have not done that regardless of how good their offensive line has been and regardless of how good their running backs have been. That just hasn't been the case for them. And then who do they have at wide receiver? Roman Wilson maybe can help compete against guys like Kool-Aid McKintry and Terry and Arnold, but I just don't see it. I, I, I cannot believe that Michigan offense is going to go out there and win them a football game against a defense like Alabama. No, 100%. And I, wa I watched Talia Tagovailoa. Respect, 100%. Like, great college career. He's Talia Tagovailoa, though, and he went out there and threw seeds against this defense. I haven't seen someone do that to Alabama since Quinn Ewers, and Quinn Ewers is also in this college football playoff for a reason. And I, I, I just have a lot of confidence in this Alabama team. When stuff like that clip comes out 
a Michigan reacting to them getting Alabama. Like, oh god, I don't want to. I don't want to. Like, you don't want to read in that too much. But also, that stuff does matter. Hell yeah, I've been in those rooms. When you hear audible gasp, you you're know like, your oh, ass is beat already. Yeah, you are beat. Um, I got a little poem here. This one's uh, in. A, I got sent to me. It's in a reply of a Jeff Centel tweet. I can write poetry too. Well, he just went from playing in the CFP to watching it on TV. From realization of trophies you'll no longer adorn, enjoy mediocrity in the land of corn. Sorry to see you never enter our door, but hey, go enjoy the possibility of eight and four. Bars. Who is that? Uh, that's a Georgia fan. Let me read his actual yeah, Twitter read that handle. Out. That, that was some bars well, from I'm not my a man. Uh, of course, the CPA. At Josh Jones CPA. That's J-A-S Jones CPA. So, uh, can be out here messing with your books and cooking y'all on Twitter. So, shouts out of that. Um, we didn't make the jokes today. They did. Yeah. So, that's not on us. No. So, Damani Jackson in the portal, USC corner. Hmm. Y'all want to know a little something about Damani? Please. Damani verified. Burner. Absolute burner. I think sub 10-3 in the 100. Uh, sub 4-3-8 in the 40. About six foot. 185 pounds. Checks every physical box that the University of Georgia demands at their cornerback position. And uh, his position coach just took the position coach job at Georgia. The guy who landed him. One of the six five-stars that he landed, Damani Jackson. Uh, a really, really good football player. I saw him for the first time out at the Nike opening in 2022, I want to say. It's the last one that mattered. This year was, uh, I, I don't lack of a better term, it was a little bit not embarrassing. Um, it was a waste of time for position players to go out there last year. You agree? Yeah. I mean, they had the same 40 people on the field playing 7-on-7 seven seven for four hours. And we didn't it, learn it was, anything new. No, we didn't. Not we, we knew who we saw, and we already knew everything about them. So, um, that was unfortunate for that event because the opening used to be the best. Like, it would, it would would you would see every great player you needed to see in a matter of three days out there. Every great quarterback, every great position player, every skill player. And they even had the opening for the offensive line back <clears throat> before COVID, and they could put helmets and shoulder pads on. So, the last year they had that, it was like Brian Brzee and uh, Tate Ratledge and, and all that group out there in San Antonio, like really getting after and and the Nike opening really getting after it. Now we don't get nothing like that. Now it's just watered down. It's a, it's a throwing competition for the quarterbacks, and it's a great evaluation point for that, but we don't get anything else out of that. But the last one we actually got something out of, Damani Jackson was the best corner at that Nike opening. Um, rotated against a lot of good competition that day. And I think he had three or four interceptions in one, like, multiple-hour seven-on-seven session. So, a tremendous athlete with tremendous ball skills and a tremendous connection to the University of Georgia. I would imagine Dante Williams was probably one of his first phone calls. Hmm. I like corners that can attack the ground with their feet and play hmm. with pace. And I've seen Damani on tape. I haven't got the in-person eval. But the way that he can shift from – in his back pedal going really, really hard. But then when he has to break, he can slow, break, come out of it. I, like, he attacks no the movement. game with pace. No mm. wasted movement. Yeah. Yeah, that's – I mean, that's an extremely pivotal position, a defensive back, where you can't have any wasted movement, any misstep, any misturn, any – I mean, everything is predicated on the fact that you have to be in front of this man at all times, and one misstep is – it could be – it could cost you 50 yards. It could cost you six points. I saw a couple of blown coverages from him this year. I think most notably – I was watching Utah, not Utah State. They played San Jose State, mm -hmm. right? And they gave up a, a touchdown right before the half. Sounds right. And uh, it was a, a cover two hole throw where Damani just didn't sink back far enough and look like he didn't carry vertical enough. But nonetheless, 
and not a cover, not a uh, a zone corner. This is a bump and run man guy. Like <laughs> all the traits that this kid has, you should just walk him out there and say, "Hey, we're just gonna play man coverage." He's got three years of eligibility. I would imagine if it does end up Georgia, the idea that they're gonna have Ellis Robinson next year in twenty twenty five. Think about this: they could have Ellis Robinson on one side and Damani Jackson on the other side. And I, I don't know if they've ever had two traits here corners. If the, if that were to be the picture, if that's what it looks like, eighteen months from now, <laughs> good luck. They're basically going to be a version of what Alabama looks like right now with Terry and Arnold and Quincy McKinstry, because that's what it does to you. Like if you have two elite corners, man, like everything else just becomes so much easier. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you shrink the field against everybody that you play. Every single window becomes tighter. I mean, this field feels like it's all of a sudden thirty-five yards in width. Yeah, no, I had a, I remember I had a conversation with you when I first started scouting and first started getting into it. And a lot of it was about hyperbole mm -hmm. and not trying to make people sound bigger, or worse or whatever than they are. I, Ellis Robinson is a first team All-American. Yeah. I, I have no problem saying that. Yeah. That kid is a, he is unbelievable. His battle with Jeremiah Smith at the OT7 was mm -hmm. like a religious experience. Yeah. Like for, I felt hey. like I was in gospel. My man over there laughing from back there. That that is that is fact. You see something like that for a first time as a scout, um, bro. Yeah, you know, like it'll stick with you forever. I saw um, kids decide to get baptized at that. Oh, <laughs> that. I swear. Yeah, man. I uh, I had the same feelings about Broderick Jones the first time I saw him mm -hmm. uh, work out in a private session. I was like, that. You're, you're right. It's hard not to walk away with hyperbole. It's hard not to walk away and say that's the best. I've ever seen, or that's going to be the best I've ever seen. We just got done doing this with LaDamian Guyton last year or last week, right? A six foot four, 230 pound, 14 year old, like moving like he's supposed to at that size at 14 as a true freshman playing for a state title game against Cedar Grove and looking every bit the part. My immediate thought was that might be the best player I've ever seen. That might, when I'm done, that guy, when he's done, that guy might be him. You know what I mean? Whereas I felt the same way about Caleb Downs coming out of high school. That's the best position player I've ever seen. He impacts more football games than anybody I've ever seen. Um, Ellis Robinson gives me those vibes. Ellis Robinson, I would imagine, was what it felt like to evaluate um, uh, Patrick Sertan coming out. I bet it felt the same way watching Tyson Campbell run around in high school. Go watch Tyson Campbell's high school tape. Tell me you don't think that's the best high school corner you've ever seen. It's insane. Okay, He makes every play. And he's also a track runner and is out here with all the testing and all the measurables and all the verifiables. Ellis Robinson feels the same way. Uh, Damani Jackson, very similar in the physical traits, just didn't have the arm length. Uh, it all smells. Like I said, his physical profile to me smells like the University of Georgia. Have you heard the latest in the Malik Murphy news? I saw, like, he was taking trips to Baylor. I think I saw a lot of Duke smoke. Duke. Duke. Yeah. Mm. A lot of Duke smoke. Uh, right now with him. Baylor just got their guy. They got the kid from Toledo. Okay. Um, so, yeah, my face exactly. I thought mm -hmm. he was going to play at a, a bigger school. No offense to Dave Aranda yeah. and the folks at Baylor. I thought the kid from Toledo had some some serious, like, big-time P5 mm -hmm. juice for one of, these or one of these teams that's maybe a quarterback away from national title contentions or at least playoff contentions in the 12-team in the playoff. I like the idea of him to Duke. Um, they, they seem to do a really, really good job historically of protecting their quarterbacks. Um I don't love the idea of going to play for a defensive mind in Manny Diaz. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That, that's a lifetime D coordinator. 
Well, especially the fact that Duke feels like it's taking a step back this next year because mm. you just lost your head coach. You just lost Riley Leonard, and Riley Leonard was the heart and soul of that offense for the most part. I mean, those big keynote wins that they had against like Clemson, it was because Riley Leonard was playing quarterback under center for the Blue Devils. And Malik Murphy could potentially be that for them. He could be that guy that's like, we're going to put it all on his shoulders, and he's going to go out there and muscle us nine wins. But I feel like going to a program that's kind of undergoing a lot of change, undergoing some uncertainty into 2024 – I would have – I hate to say that like this, but I would have liked to see him go somewhere else. Mm. Maybe Really get to see the full potential of someone like Malik Murphy. Yeah, I'm, I'm, with, I'm with you there. I would have liked to see him go to a – I always thought like Ohio State would have been a yeah, dream situation yeah. with that half-field read and just the pick-and-stick nature of that offense. Um, and, like, again, he gets, he gets classified into this athletic mold that needs to go run. That's, that dude needs to sit in the pocket and throw seeds. That's what that dude needs to do. Um, yeah, so I, I'm with you. I, we'll see where the fit ends up going. I I think – I know his representation. He's he's well represented. The, wherever he goes, it'll be a good home for him, I would imagine. Um, K.J. Jefferson officially in the portal. Um, some weird negotiation tactics here. Seemed to me like he went, was thinking about going into the portal to gauge the market, but also wanted to leave the opportunity that he might stay at Arkansas because he didn't want to piss off fans is what it looked like to me. What are we making this whole situation with KJ Jefferson? Just super weird in general because it, it really – I mean, we sat here multiple times like, is KJ Jefferson in the portal yet? We do not know because it seems like one day it's like – it looks like he's going to enter the portal and it's like, but we don't know because he's not officially in the portal. Now he's officially in the portal – and it's like, okay, well, what's next for him now? Maybe it's South Carolina, I guess, is kind of sniffing around, but who really knows? K.J. Jefferson is one of the college quarterbacks of all time. Just like if you think where he and that Arkansas program were two years ago, yeah. you flash forward to now, and it's like he's coming back, he's using this extra year, they just went for it. It's just weird. Yeah. It's hard to understand what's going on in Fayetteville. Like I really can't put my finger on it. It was also hard to understand how – they just made him look absolutely terrible this year. Yeah. He looked awful. Awful. And they asked, they kept asking him to do things he's not made to do. They didn't run him a lot. Um, I didn't see the, the patented quarterback, K.J. Jefferson, draw. Like, dude's automatic first down, P and 10, when it comes to third and four. Like, dude, clear out, quarterback draw, scream it from the heavens, doesn't matter, you're not going to stop it. Like, he just fell forward for five yards for the first two years as a starter at Arkansas. And then this year is just – just absolutely atrocious. So I'm I'm happy for him to have gotten out of there. Um, maybe I should have known. We should have talked about this. It's obvious why he stuck around. Maybe he was listening to old Rick Pitino for a little bit, giving him his due, let him figure out, you know, give him his sales pitch, you know, because they just hired a new office coordinator in Pitino, brought the neck brace back, and now you know he's obviously going to coach there. So maybe it was some let's listen to Pitino, see what he's got for us. If you were South Carolina next year, would you rather start Lenora Sellers or KJ Jefferson? Uh, dude, from what I hear, and I know you were there. Ball. Yeah, they think Lenoris Sellers is a dude. I, I, w I would start Lenoris. He's a dude. And you know what? If you're a if you're a football coach like Shane Beamer, if you have a redshirt freshman show promise, I mean, you can be four and eight. Mm -hmm. They ain't firing you. They're gonna bring that sucker back because if he's good, you know, if if he looks like he's got some juice, they might just stick around and let him ride it out. Yeah, and I think especially with the way South Carolina is recruiting in the transfer portal right now, like you already went and got yourself a verifiable running back. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good situation to put a guy, a young quarterback in where you have a reliability person in the backfield to where it's like, okay, if we need to, just hand it off to a guy, let him cook a little bit, and we can make you a little bit more comfortable. But then going against that, 
if South Carolina is going to keep producing what they have at offensive line like these last two years, I think that's a horrible situation to put a young quarterback in. It's like, good luck, buddy. We don't know what's going to happen to you today. You might get sacked eight times, but you also might throw for 300 yards. Have they done anything to solidify that offensive line? I know most of their portal additions have been school guys. The most recent thing I saw is that they were expecting their starting center back, who, I mean, he was on that line. I don't think he was anything crazy. And they're still a year away from – they're still a year away from Cam Pringle, right? Yep. He's a 2025. And they – I think they get Josiah Thompson. They get him in. Okay. And, I mean, it's real spotty. It's slim pickings. It's slim. At a spot that they probably should have heavily invested in this offseason. I, I don't know. Um, they He's had some questionable decisions. Like, for example, they lost their defensive line coach uh, last summer to LSU – that was the guy that had some health issues this yeah. year when he got to LSU. Mm-hmm. They lost him, and instead of hiring or going out and hiring a new guy, they just promoted in-house a, a defensive analyst. Sound like the guy was very, very young. I'm not saying he's not going to end up being a coach, but the room didn't produce, produce the results that they thought it was going to. I mean, Tonka Hemingway had a very mediocre year this year. They obviously missed out on the Xavier McLeod output or return on investment or whatever was going to happen there. So it was just a, a rough year from a defensive line production standpoint. Um, and on top of that, again, all of the problems that they got going on on the offensive side of the football from an offensive line perspective. Um, another interesting name popped into the portal today, and I got some flack on this one on Twitter. Malachi Nelson entering the portal tells me a lot. Tells me a lot really, really quickly about what Lincoln Riley thought of his chances to win football games with that dude. Malachi Nelson was his guy. Malachi Nelson was handpicked. Malachi Nelson was committed to Oklahoma. Malachi Nelson decommitted from Oklahoma when Lincoln Riley left the job. Malachi Nelson recommitted to USC to Lincoln Riley. Malachi Nelson went and spent a year there and is in the portal now because they're probably going to land Will Howard from Kansas State. That tells me everything I need to know about what Lincoln Riley thought about Malachi Nelson. And look, here's the deal. I got flack for calling him a quarterback developer when he ain't really never, quote-unquote, developed quarterback talent to the extent that a lot of people think, right? Um, There's a lot of credit given to Jalen Hurts' development to Lincoln Riley, but Baker Mayfield, we've seen what's happening there. It looks like it's okay. It's a serviceable NFL quarterback, but ain't like that dude's lighting the woods on or lighting the the world on fire in the NFL uh, already on his second team. We've seen what the Kyler Murray stuff's turned out to be. Uh, Caleb Williams, did he really get that much better or did he really just put up great stats? That's the point that a lot of people were making. Here's the point that I'm making. That offense seems to be pretty easy to play quarterback in. And he didn't believe he was fitting to win football games with that kid. That's wild. That's wild to me. that Because that, it looked like that was going to be a dude coming out of high school. To me, and you'll be you'll be really, really uh, on to this one, that looks like Nico Yamulavela to me with 30-some-odd career high school starts. A lot of people forget Nico's this really, really talented football player, 6'5", 220 pounds, can make every throw in the world. You know who else was? Malachi Nelson. Except Malachi Nelson's got a long, long history of – of film, a long history of, of evaluations, a long history of detailed intel about who this guy is, who this football player will be, and he didn't pan out. We don't know nothing about Nico, except for what Nico did in 7-on-7, seven seven, except for what Nico did in the 12, 13 yeah, high school I starts. Think it was 13 is the number. 13 high school starts. We don't know nothing about Nico, and he got to college, and, and we're going to find out. But we knew far more about Malachi Nelson. I'm not connecting the two. It just reminded me, hey, West Coast kid, big, tall, lanky, got a lot of juice, a lot of natural arm and and life on the ball. What's he going to be? 
I felt like I knew Malachi Nelson was going to be really good. And this guy just passed on him being what was supposed to be the guy. So it's weird, man. It's, it, it doesn't, it doesn't make me feel great about what, whoever's going to land Malachi Nelson next. Not to say he can't be good, but it, it looks to me like a guy that is known for making good quarterbacks great, or at least statistically, he just passed up on the opportunity. No, I tend to 100%. Like, this is just a weird all-around situation where I was going back and looking at some Malachi Nelson tape today from that senior year, from that junior year, and there are hummers. <laughs> yeah, dude. You're like, whoa, yeah, what bro. is this? Like, it is – it is Nico Yamaliava in high school. Yeah. Like it is crazy. One more time, Yamaliava. You're out the it. Yamaliava. Huh? Yamaliava. Can we just Yama go with Nico? Ilava? You can go Nico. I'm going Nico nah, for I, the rest I'm of eternity. Let's try this one more time. Yamaliava. 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 They call Got him it. Nico. They don't even Hell try. Hell yeah. They don't even try. Hell yeah, they do. So let's I go. I call him Neek. We could even go with this notion, though, that Lincoln Riley has not developed any quarterbacks. He's just been gifted of the gods of, like, who he gets to coach up. Correct. Up. Let's go with that approach. Regardless, though, he sure as shit knows what a Heisman quarterback looks like. <laughs> yeah. He knows what it's supposed to look like. He's yeah. seen it for the last six years. So he can easily say, uh, yep, that guy's going to win a Heisman in the next few years, and that guy's going to win me football games. Oh, yeah. No, you do not look like the other four quarterbacks that I've had. I, I'm just imagining him looking at the five-star Malachi Nelson and being like, sign me up for Will Howard. <laughs> sign, sign me up for Will K -State. Howard. K-State. Shouts out to the Jayhawks. Just I mean, not Jayhawks, excuse me. Um, Wildcats. Shouts out my boy Ethan back there. Wildcats. Dumb COVID brain. Not COVID brain. CTE brain. Mm, yeah, that'll do it. Probably should make jokes about that. Part of what doesn't make sense to me about that reply about, like, what are the Lincoln-Riley quarterbacks doing? Now? It's like – yeah, okay, like, maybe they all haven't had the greatest career, but you like, Caleb Williams probably going to be the number one pick. Yeah. Kyler Murray won Rookie of the Year. It was the number one, one overall pick. It was the number one overall pick, went to a Pro Bowl. Baker Mayfield hasn't had the best NFL career. He's a six-year starter. He might go to the playoffs this year. It's a bad NFC South, sure. F whatever. Jalen Hurts was the best player on a Super Bowl team or a Super Bowl offense last year. Mm. Who else, what, other, what other coach in college has that quarterback tree? Man's got a good point. So it's not great, but when is NFL quarterbacks ever great? You're 100 percent right. Uh, he's at a what a six, we call it 65 percent hit rate. Yeah, Jalen Hurts hit Baker Mayfield. We're gonna call that a hit. Yeah, oh, I mean, sure. that's a hit. Six year starter. For sure, like, gonna make a second contract. Hit Kyler Murray left out. Yeah, right. We'll see. Got paid though. Got paid though, Got and paid. we we believe Caleb Williams is gonna hit. Yeah. So it looks pretty good. Mm -hmm. Looks pretty pretty good. Um, also looking pretty good, that hot mic situation. The hot mic situation a couple weeks ago uh, just came to fruition with a hardened fact as Marvin Jones Jr. today committed to Florida State. What no secrets here. Th this was obvious from day one, uh, maybe day negative 150. This sounds like this one's been in the works for quite a while. I mean, last portal season, even in his first year at Georgia, it was like, hey, watch out. Florida State might nab him. Mm. Okay, and Florida State finally nabbed him. Yeah, and he's going to do exactly what majority of players do in this type of situation where they're going to leave a great program, they're going to go to another program, and he's going to put up great numbers and be the absolute alpha on defense that he was advertised coming out of high school. Georgia fans are probably going to be a little pissed off. Florida uh -huh. State fans are going to be jumping up and down, and Marvin Jones is going to go and have a great NFL career. I Jermaine do. Johnson. I, yeah, I was about to say, I do want to prepare our audience for that fact, um, or what I believe to be a fact. 
this guy's going to go down. He's going to be a big DN. He's going to play five technique, and he's going to make more plays in about four games than he ever did at Georgia. And the first thing Johnny come lately, who don't know shit about football, is going to do is say, ooh, look at Georgia. Can't develop. And uh, it's so funny because I asked Kirby about this this year. Your defensive ends, your jacks, your, your edge rushers, your guys who are at other programs, stat producers, they don't produce stats here. It's a known thing. It's an obvious thing. It's a very unit-based football program. And uh, his answer was the answer that I was looking for, and it's the one that he's going to continue to give on the recruiting trail. Look at all the guys that we have drafted in the first round, despite all the facts around their box score stats, which there are none. There are very little uh, box score stats at the University of Georgia, but it is the way it is um, because they play team-oriented defense. And you can still be a number one overall draft pick. You just got to put tape out there. And that's what guys like Michael Williams have been doing for the last couple of years. Um, and it's not it's not going to hinder Michael. Michael's going to go to the draft when he goes to the draft. He's going to be a first-round draft pick when he goes to the draft. I'm telling you that right now. Even if he only has three and a half sacks next year, which he won't because he's changing positions. And we told you that here first. Ooh. Ooh. I mean, let's, let's look at it this way. When we were evaluating high school players' tapes the other day, we were saying like, Two minutes, maybe. Two minutes max. That's what you got to provide to me to let me know you're a verified dude. You are someone that can play at the University of Georgia or wherever. That's how long I need. I don't know how the NFL draft scout processing goes or anything like that and how they evaluate tape. I'm sure it's a lot more in-depth because there's millions of dollars being invested into these football players. But I think you can tell within the first three minutes of a player's tape from college of like, yeah, that's what a first-rounder is supposed to look like. That's what a contributor on a D, on the NFL level is supposed to look like. And what, okay, maybe you're a fourth-rounder. We take a chance on you. The thing's a little high. We can take a chance on you. I mean, it, it, if you can put enough plays on a tape, you're going to be drafted into the NFL. Yeah, 100%. And, I mean, we see it every single year. Body types win. So, Javon Ballard earlier, your first-round pick on tape. First round pick with everything he's done at Georgia, probably not going to be a first round pick. Just like yeah. someone else might not have, maybe they got second round tape. But if you're 6'6, 240, and you got long arms, you're top mm. 15. Mm. I just felt it move. <laughs> um, AJ Swan going to LSU, and that's what we'll close it on tonight. I, AJ, I'm a huge proponent. I, I don't like it. I don't like it. it Garrett Nussmeyer's got two years. I love Garrett Nussmeyer. I think he's going to be really good. I, I don't know where I see A.J. playing at LSU. I saw him getting on the field at South Carolina. If not within this year, because maybe they land K.J. Jefferson, whatever. I saw him getting on the field at, at South Carolina. I, I don't see him getting on the field at LSU. Yeah, one of those weird transfer moves where you went somewhere and it's like you went there, but you're, it doesn't look like you're going to get on the field. So what was the point in transferring anyways? You just wanted to get out of Nashville and that construction zone, I guess. I don't know. It is it, a constant construction zone, and it, it is. is miserable. Hey, that was our show for tonight. If you liked it, make sure you're hitting that thumbs-up button. Make sure you're subscribing as well. Uh, we will be here tomorrow, and we'll be here Wednesday for our signing day super show. All 30 players broken down right here live. Multiple hours. Might be a four-hour stream. Don't know. Love you. We'll see you tomorrow.